Blog Talk Radio. This is the Change Book Radio Show, global insight and inspiration from life and business. We're brought to you by the fastest growing personal development book series in the world titled The Change. And I'm your host and voice, Stacey Carnaluti, transformational leader and coach, international best-selling author, and founder of High Powered Success Academy and StaceyC.com, The Power to Be. Welcome to The Change. Hello, friends. Welcome to the radio show today. I am so excited about our guest. This guy is amazing, such a rock star in my um, opinion. His name is Dylan or Dylon. He calls himself Boke. He's an award-winning author of the book Bad Choices Make Good Stories, My Life with Autism. And it's a sequel to Chasing the Rabbit that he co-authored with his father, Derek Boke, who I had on the show a few weeks back. Um, life has always challenged Dylan, but it's never stopped him. He's a high-functioning 27-year-old who's out in Los Angeles today. He's moved out here after living in several states, and he's pursuing his dreams while helping people laugh and see the world in a very different way. Dylan and his dad travel the country speaking to thousands and helping families navigate life with autism. Welcome to the show, Dylan. Thank you. You're welcome. So your new book is so awesome. This title, it just grabs everybody. Bad choices make good stories. Who doesn't relate to that? We've all experienced um, that pain of regret. And then watching, you know, the regret turn into kind of redemption where you see all these amazing things come from the um, the crazy choices that we make in our lives. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But let's start by um, just having you share a little bit about what really fires you up today? Like, what are you super passionate about? What gets you all um, all fired up about life right now? <clears throat> well, uh, having people read my book and tell me what they thought of it. Um, have you had a chance to read any of it? No, not the whole thing. I just skimmed. Like, I, I saw little pieces of it, but I haven't been through the whole thing. I'm very excited to, oh, to okay. dig in. Yeah, and it's Nothing also the better. first book with emojis. Mm. Oh my God, that's awesome! Yeah, that's so yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the book better. has mm, the book has. Uh, I was gonna say it has all the classic story tropes in it. It's got, um, well, it's got my experiences trying to fit in with many different crowds, uh, from black people to gay guys, everybody in between. It's got lots of dating stories, uh, dating with high functioning autism. Um, it's got a weight loss story. It's got dr- it's got uh, drug arrests. I've I've actually been to jail <laughs> in three different states, oh and uh, not all for drug arrests. Just one of them was, and it was actually a meth arrest. So it's got lots of uh, colorful adventures you're going to read about. It's a page turner, really. Wow, that's incredible. Something for everyone for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You talk. Um, Well, let's start at the beginning. How old were you when you kind of realized that you were a little bit different? Well, uh, I just was kind of told, and so I accepted it. Uh, I was being given a lot more attention in class than the other kids. The teachers had to spend extra time with me, and then I was going to different rooms than the other kids, so I, I knew I was kind of special, but I saw it as unironically special. I saw myself as like, um, like VIP, you know, I saw yeah. it like, Ooh, I'm, 
<laughs> the teachers are paying way more attention to me. I'm special and not like special, like actually special. But then of course, when it, when I got older, 12, 13, it became more about fitting in. And that's when it wasn't so cool that I was going into the special ed room and uh, that I, you know, had that I was uh, going a different path than the other students. Would you say that that was your biggest challenge, just came in fitting in more than like academic or, or thinking um, or problem solving? Was it more about fitting in that, that you would say would be your biggest challenge during those years? Yeah, yeah. Um, I just have never been able to like effortlessly fit in or kind of be a part of social circles. I don't really know why. Uh, I just know that I if I knew why I'd probably be able to do it. So uh, yeah. I've always, you can always tell the difference. You can tell the difference between being really part of a conversation and trying to be a part of a conversation that not really including you, you can tell the difference. And I knew instinctively the difference, not just conversations, but fitting in, in the big picture as a whole, being part of a social clique or social circle, you can tell when you're not. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that we all are supposed to fit in? Is that a goal? No. Um, unfortunately, that's not the way the world works. Uh, my thing was I I didn't even fit in with the unpopular kids because even mm-hmm. the weird kids in high school, in my early first half of high school, um, even the weird kids have friends that are, you know, they're also weird. But my thing was I looked like the normal popular kids, but as soon as I opened my mouth, very clearly not one of them. And so I didn't really fit in with anybody. Okay. Would you say things that embarrassed you or that were just not relevant to the others? Uh, I didn't know. Well, because I didn't know how to effortlessly just become part of these conversations. I, so my other, most people would probably just accept that and just like check out and not try. And I did the opposite. I, instead of, you know, most people enter a conversation, they, they, the uh, metaphor is like entering a room, you open the door slowly, and walk in quietly and just kind of check out what's going on and then sit down. My, and and I, I couldn't do that. I didn't know how to do that. So I would just bust down the door like a firefighter or a SWAT team. <laughs> yeah. So I would go up to kids and I would ask them very provocative, inappropriate questions like a, a guy a guy with his girlfriend, I would ask them, like, oh, have you guys had sex yet? Stuff okay. like that. <laughs> Got it. Because <Got> <laughs> I didn't some... know what else to do. Right, right. There's this appropriate behavior. But I love um, I love the provocative nature. Sometimes I just feel like we need it. You know, I see this almost this special, like you said, VIP, this this difference that you have is really um, this potential for greatness that is so amazing to me. There's almost this brilliance there and this fearlessness that, um, I don't know, it just, it just paves the way for um, incredible greatness. Do you know some other famous people that we might know of that suffered or struggled with Asperger's as you have been diagnosed with? Um, famous people with Asperger's. Uh, yeah. No, I don't. I can't think of a prominent one. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to be the first. I know. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> funny. 
I should have researched these because there have been, I mean, really, really brilliant people um, have some diagnosis that, you know, would shock a lot of people, but those, those very diagnoses really set you guys up for um, incredible thought leadership. So I love that you're out there um, helping all of us see the world a little bit different. So I just, I applaud what you're doing. Um, you do talk about suicidal feelings in your book. So talk to us a little bit about how you got through those really dark times. And do you still go through that? Yeah, uh, I think quite a bit about wishing I could die. And that might sound shocking, but the way my mind thinks is very logical. And so, like, logically doing the calculations, just the amount of frustration that I go through in my life and just how hard life is and how, how many things go wrong. It's just like everything goes wrong. And I don't feel like it's worth it, honestly. And But I'm not going to kill myself because that would be very selfish of me uh, to hurt my family members and people who care about me. It would be uh, just a terrible thing to do. But uh, frankly, I don't really want to live. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Um, I just do a calculation, a cost-benefit, a cost-benefit type like pros and cons, and I feel like right. the cons outweigh the pros. Wow. So how much weight do you give purpose? Because I feel like you've connected your story and your life to a greater purpose, a purpose that's a little bit bigger than just you, and that's what keeps you going, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, it's just hard because I haven't really – I haven't gotten to the point where, you know, I'm not making a living doing that stuff yet. And mm -hmm. so uh, maybe once I get there, I'll feel differently. But as of now, I feel very frustrated with my life situation. Okay. Got it. You are absolutely honesty. <laughs> I love that about you. It's awesome. It's awesome. And it opens you up to the support that you're going to need to be able to, I mean, you are pursuing a dream right now and that is never, ever easy. So your honesty is really paving the way for the support that you need to get to where you're called to be. And I, I applaud you for that. It's, it's so cool. Um, you talk about arresting people for saying that they're busy. <laughs> that was so awesome. Ah, Oh my gosh. Talk to us a little bit about that. The frustration of that excuse, right? I'm too busy. <laughs> well, I've just um, busy. I said in the, I said <laughs> in the video that uh, when people say that they're busy, they're, they're telling you a lie, but they're telling you a lie that you're not allowed to call out as a lie. So it's really a crime. <laughs> and the reason you're not, you're, the reason it's a lie, first of all, is because that's not the way people say that, oh, sorry, I've been really busy or I was really busy as in that's why I didn't call you back. That's why I didn't text you back. That's why I flaked on our plans. But that's not the way it works. People mm -hmm. text back whoever they want to text back, whether or not they're busy. Like this idea that being busy stops people from calling people back or texting people back is a lie, and everyone knows it. Everyone knows that it's a lie, but – but when somebody says that, for some reason, it's totally legit, and we're not allowed to say anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not so allowed to say, you know, I'm not allowed to start explaining how, you know, the whole, I can't get all philosophical, like that whole, like talking about how that whole paradigm is like inaccurate, you know, that's not socially appropriate. And so they kind of get, so it's this very, it's this very, it seems like this very um, dirty trick to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my God. So you are continually kind of having to shrink a little bit because you have this awareness that is so intense 
and you see things so much bigger than the normal person. So you're having to constantly yeah. like pull back, pull back. Like uh, it's not a big deal. It's not, but it is a big deal because you see the big, huge picture. And so um, that's just, I can, I can just, yeah. Illustration of that. yeah, that's, yeah. That's one of the best points I've heard. So I mean, you really get it. You really get it. Uh, a lot of people. Yeah don't get it but it sounds like you really <laughs> you read the no. part of my book where I said ah. um oh well I in the book I said something very similar to that I explained how the problem has always been not what I don't see it's been what I do see yeah. the problem has always been that I see I see things from a much higher level and I'm I have pretty good instincts about this stuff but I just don't yes. know what to do with it yes. I don't know what to do with the information because other people are not on that level and I have right. to get get down and play on their level yeah oh my god no you are doing exactly what you're here to do which is to provoke thought and that thought mm -hmm. provoke that forces people it confronts complacency this is a call that I feel on my life as well that I have a lot of truth in me and a lot of um a lot of insight that is not comfortable for people. It confronts the complacency in their life and it forces them to think a little bit and either they want to think or not, you know, they'll run away from you if they don't want it. But some people will draw close because they're challenged by your insight. And so keep sharing it. It's, it's, um, it's huge. You said one thing um, about, Oh my gosh, about women um, being, what was the word? It starts with a C. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I, forgot the word about the the men or the people that they have um power over um oh yeah how, how did I forget the word it starts with a c um okay whatever I'm gonna have to skip hmm. that story and come back to it uh, well, I, I was okay <laughs> <laughs> do you know the video I'm talking about yeah so contempt, my whole contempt. life I've they seen have contempt that's the word contempt. Oh, okay. For the people that they have power over. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. So in public, I much prefer to be helped by male customer service people or male sales reps or whatever than mm -hmm. female because I just feel like the dynamic where a woman is like in this, even though it's not a big amount of power, it's just a slight amount of power over you as the customer or the whatever. And, mm -hmm. and she has this authority over you. I feel like they don't, I feel like they're not comfortable with that. And I feel like they just, I don't know. I just get a very hostile vibe. Whereas when I'm dealing with a man, it's just like much more comfortable. I feel like I can relax. And the thing is, if a woman said this about other women, that would be totally fine. No one would even bat an eyelash. She said, I prefer to be helped by other women in public. People would be like, oh, that's fair. So, but it's not okay for me to say it about men. <laughs> And why would you think it's not okay for you to say it? What 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 gives you that impression? I think I think most people would probably call me sexist if they heard me say that. Most people would get offended by it. But if a, okay. if a woman said it about women, no one would get offended. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of these double standards that just don't make any reasonable or logical sense to you at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just an attack on men. It's just a mm -hmm. another example of that. And for sure, you don't believe you have any issues with women. Oh, I have a lot of them, but I think they're legitimate. <laughs> I have legitimate gripes. <laughs> and did the gripes go back to like mom stuff or just women teachers? And like, what are your experiences with women? The negative ones, like what do you think you get these? <laughs> or just society? Uh, it's not. It's not. It's society in general. It's not my mom though. My mom okay. is definitely not. 
part of it. She, um, she's in fact, she's something I kind of use to, to make me not have such negative feelings towards women. I try and think, well, my mom, I have, my mom is a yeah. nice woman, but, uh, <laughs> but I, my experience has just been, well, I don't even know where to start. My experience in terms of friendship wise is that women will always treat other women and gay men on just the completely different level of, in terms of friendship, in terms of, um, just friendliness and they will always have this, they always come at you from like an arm's length and they'll never treat you the same. Very, very seldom. Will they be as friendly to you? Will they open up to you? Will they bring you into their social circle? Because I was like, I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy who just wants to just sex all the time. I like friendships too. I value friendships mm-hmm. and, um, and just, but it's not even just, I'm not saying it has to be friends with everybody, every woman I come across, but they just treat other women on a totally, like just totally superior treatment. They roll out the red carpet for other women. Mm-hmm. They, they give them compliments. They shower them with compliments. They make offers. Oh, how about we hang out this weekend and I can help you with this or, oh girl, I'm going to help you out with that. And they don't do that for us. But the thing okay. is, and the thing is guys don't, guys don't do that for us either though, because guys are so busy trying to get the women. And so it's like, who do we get? And so that's one thing. And, um, and it would be fine if we were allowed to have our own spaces, but we're not, we're thrown together and we're all supposed to be equal and we're all putting, so it's like you either, it's like they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want us to all be in the same spaces and men can't have their own spaces and women are going to be out doing everything that men can do, but they want to be able to treat other women totally, totally 10 times nicer than they treat you as a man. So it's like you have to, you should pick one or the other. And then the, my experience dating, um, you know, I just realized very soon that it's not like the movies where the girl is always this damsel in distress who's just looking for a gentleman and guys are always such jerks. And, you know, hearing music and TV shows and movies, I thought I would have no problem dating because I'm like, well, I'm a nice guy. And all I want to do is find a girl and treat her like a princess. So mm-hmm. this will be great. But I realized very quickly that's not how it works. And most of the time, in fact, I think it's the other way around. I might be biased, but I I think that this is something guys are not honest about, and I think girls are not honest about it either. I think many, many times guys are the ones who are the romantics, and girls are the ones who are not interested in romance. They're interested Mm – I mean, I don't think they're very interested in men in general. I think sometimes they want a quick fix. And other, I mean, you hear women constantly talking about, I don't need a man. I don't need a man. I don't need a boyfriend. And, you know, they get over breakups much, much faster than we do. And they are just, well, people say they're like cats, right? Which they're independent. Most of them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You have a lot to say about this. Is there, is there something like, do you think that you're totally victim to this and powerless or something that you can do to kind of change this? I would like to bring awareness to it because I feel like there's like nobody out there talking about it. And it's very, it's very frustrating and discouraging to live in a world where these issues that I see every day, no one is even talking about them. If, and there are in fact, a lot of people out there that are saying the opposite and I just don't know what world they're living in. Right. Right. Yeah. I love it. So in an ideal world, (laughs) what would it look like? Uh, well, um, I mean, I don't know. I would love a world where we could all be friends and where, you know, I I would like to be treated with the same respect that women treat each other with. And, you know, I'm not supposed to say stuff like that, right? Like a guy is not supposed to 
complain. Well, but guys are like not supposed to, in general, guys usually get mocked if they bring up these kind of complaints. And so they get basically shamed into silence. But I am taking a stand against that. And I'm just going to say, you can call me whatever you want. I'm going to say it anyway. And I, there's a million other guys who I guarantee feel the exact same way. You know, I, in, yeah. it's like, uh, it, there was a speaking class that I took last summer. Um, and it was like a workshop. And, and after the class was over, like, and the workshop was all women and a couple gay guys. And then it was me and my dad. After the workshop was over, I see they all made friends on Facebook and they all like each other's posts, cost every single post, and they comment. They write long paragraphs supporting each other, how great showering each other with compliments and support. None of them have liked a single post of mine. None of them mm-hmm. have even got my book. None of them have reached out to me. I asked a couple of them if they were going to read the book. I said, I think you'd really like it. I was very – I come at people very friendly. I always try to come at people and befriend them, and I just get nothing back. And meanwhile – how are they treating each other? Like rolling out the red carpet for each other. Yeah, and I'm supposed yeah. to just not care about this, but no, mm-hmm. they're people because I'm a man and they're women and I'm supposed to therefore not care because they're women. No, they're people. I'm, I'm a person. Yeah. Yeah. So what if they were being the way that they are because of who they are and not because of you? Like this has nothing to do with you. It's just their own inability to connect with you or to relate to you or to identify with you. Um, I think does that just, help? I think they just see, I think they just see straight men as kind of like a threat. They see them as right. just someone they're not comfortable. Uh, what is the word? They're not comfortable ingratiating with the same friendship that they will will treat each other with and gay men, of course. Gay men, probably even better. Uh, girls love gay men. Um, and I like gay guys, too. I think they're, I, I, I think they're funny. I like their, sen- uh, their uh, sense of humor, their taste in music. They're usually very smart. You know, I, I would like to be friends. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I've, this is to answer your question. I would think that if this wasn't a pattern that I've seen my whole life for 27 years, I've seen this over and over and over again, everywhere I go. When I worked in retail, I worked, I worked in a TJ Maxx and obviously most of the people I worked with were women. I saw the same thing when I was in school. I saw the same thing. I've seen this over and over again. Yeah. So you may be called as a thought leader to kind of help shift, you know, the paradigm to help people to see something. Oh, that would be better. Yeah. Yeah. And that path is lonely. I mean, if you look back right on the journey, on the path of the thought leaders, um, they're way out there in front of the others. Nobody knows what the hell they're talking about. And so you are called to a very courageous path and your ability to stand up in front of the people and not be shamed to, um, you know, lose your voice really. Um, that's a superpower of yours, you know, that you have that ability. I just don't know if enough people are down with the idea of like standing up for men and criticizing women. I think that that might be like something people don't like to swallow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't (laughs) think that people that yet you necessarily need the masses, but nobody's going to ever be up to criticizing anybody because that's never going to lift you up, you know, to to tear somebody else down in order to lift yourself up is never going to work. But you focusing on the ideal, um, you know, situation or the ideal um, new world, um, that's going to help you to build that, 
so I just, I just want to empower you with that because um, you didn't do, you know, you didn't come all this way to just come all this way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You have important, very important work to do. Um, so how did you get so comfortable sharing so personally? And oh, I've always been, I've always been an open book. That's just how I am. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more comfortable you know, sharing that I am not sharing. I'm more comfortable being in front of people than I am off stage. Yeah. So therefore it's not really an option, you know, for you to be quiet. That's not an option. You are who you are and, and, and you need to honor that. Right. Yeah. 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 It's just so, about packaging it in the right way and um, not uh, going off the deep end. Right. <laughs> So good. Oh, man. All right. So you used to take drugs. Did, you went yeah. to jail for meth. Was it meth that you were addicted to or what? And how hard was it to get off of yeah. it? How's all that going? Yeah, I had a problem with meth. Uh, I started partying a lot. Well, first of all, I should say my maturity level has always significantly lagged behind my age. So I've always been maybe three, four, five years less mature than my age. So most people do drugs, they experiment with it in college. That's like the norm, maybe 19, 20, 21. So naturally, I started experimenting with it when I was 23, 24, 25, 26. Um, okay. And so, so um, that's an important thing to know. So when I was 24 and 25, um, that was kind of, I, I just felt like I wanted to do that. And so I was partying a lot. I was going out. Um, and in Austin, Texas, you know, people do cocaine and stuff off their car keys in the bathroom, you know, mm. and so I started doing that and I, and then some people were doing meth because Texas meth is pretty popular out there. And uh, I saw, I've always been very susceptible to external influences and I saw people doing meth along these people who were normal. I like, it wasn't the stereotype of like a crazy person doing meth. It was regular people, people that I thought were cool people that seemed to be just normal people living their life and they were doing meth. So that normalized it for me. That put it for me into the category of just another party drug, like your mollies, your cocaines, your ecstasies. So, and I, I was realizing that it took me so much of whatever I was doing to feel anything. Like I would spend half the night questioning, like, wait, am I high? Is it working? Do I feel Mm -hmm. it? And I thought, well, if I do meth, I'll definitely feel something. Like that's a guarantee. So why not just go straight to the dope, literally? Mm-hmm. And uh, been doing meth, and now I was like, okay, now I know I feel something. And I'm Jewish, mm-hmm. so I like to get a good value for my money. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you bring up such an important point that really all we all ever want is to feel something, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're spending money on drugs, though, you definitely want to get your money's worth. Right, right. But in life in general, and I think that as you, you know, the way that you operate and the, uh, the way that many people operate, we are so heady in our life that we need to feel something. And so we'll use a substance or we'll use, we'll, we'll find something to give us a feeling because we're, we're human beings and we need to be feeling. And if we're not feeling, something's not right. And so what are you doing now? I mean, now that you're sober, you're, you've kind of been clean for a little while. So what do you do in order to feel? Because that's really the, the root, right? That's the need is to feel mm. something. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I still drink. I'm not a saint by any means, but I just I don't do any drugs anymore. And uh, it's I think about it quite often. See, the difference with meth and the other drugs is the other drugs. Once I was off of them, it was over. I wasn't thinking about them. You know, I mm-hmm. loved it when I was on it, but the next day, the next weekend, it, it was just like I forgot about it. And meth, mm-hmm. I did not forget about. It was so different in that way. It had a hold on me. And it was like losing an ex-girlfriend or just like reminiscing yeah. about the good times I had with a friend. Uh, and so, yeah, I still think about it a, a little less now as time goes on. Thank God it's it's less and less because I've just yeah. kind of accepted that that is not going to be a part of my life. And I need to I need to accept that. But um, yeah, but it, sometimes it just really sucks. Like writing about it in my book, I Oh man, it was so brutal because I was I have to write in detail about my experiences doing it, and I just was like, oh man, <laughs> I, I uh, po- wish I could go back. You do. Is it possible to feel um, like uh, good without a drug or a substance? It's not going to be the same. This, it's it, no, it's not going to be the same good, and that's just something that sucks, and that's probably the reason why they shouldn't be done in the first place because okay. you don't want to, you don't want to know that you don't need to know that. <laughs> okay. So when, when you experience that high, what is happening to you? You're being taken out of life as you know it. So all the, the problems, the issues um, are, are kind of gone. Mm. Is that- oh yeah. yeah. And, uh, and neuro, I've always felt like neurotypical people live like at least half their lives I just see them so often being carefree. I see them so often running around laughing with friends. That never happens with me. You know, even the friends that I do have, like I, I'm never like, I have I never had that situation that I see neurotypical people do all the time where you're like, can't stop laughing. Like you're laughing so hard and with another person, not by yourself, sharing that experience with, you know, they just have so much more fun than I do. But, and I, and it was nice to feel like, when I was, when I had that meth high, I felt like maybe this is what neurotypical people feel like all the time, like carefree. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. What about when you're on stage speaking? That's, that's comparable. You know, that's definitely comparable. That's a good high. Yeah. Yeah. Or when you're making videos, you're like very much feeling like there's a lot of emotion. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's other things that make you happy in life. It's just not going to be the same as a meth high, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so, you know, this to me just kind of reiterates the importance of getting you guys out there doing the work that you're really, really wired to do because there's a very real purpose for you on this planet and you guys are an amazing gift. And so getting into that lane, you know, so that you can really do the work that you're here for is, is the hope, you know, that lies in front of you. So I don't want you to stop. Never, ever, ever quit. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, Tell us about jail, your first experience in jail. My uh, first time getting, well, uh, much like the drug thing, when I, I said when I was 24 and 25 is when I was basically the mentality of a 19, 20-year-old. When I was 19 and 20 my, was my mentality of like a 13, 14, 15-year-old. And mm-hmm. so when do most people do shoplifting? Well, 13, 14, 15. So it makes perfect sense 
that if you if you look at my life and 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 you subtract like five years, it, it's very interesting to see. But when I was 19 is when I was I, I was into shoplifting, and so I went to the mall. Uh, the South Florida is like the capital of malls, and I love the mall. And so every mall in South Florida had its had its own personality. And so I went to the mall one day, and I uh, I started grabbing some stuff from Macy's. I got some stuff from Sears. Uh, I was very into urban clothing at the time. And I just <laughs> was obsessed that there was a mall that carried urban clothing. Cause I come from Maine and there's not, there's no urban clothing sold in Maine. And so, um, so I went, I, I got away with stealing some stuff from Macy's and then um, Dillard's. And then I got into Sears and I was thinking, okay, I got this. I got a little cocky. I got very cocky and I went, I got sloppy. I took my backpack, I threw it in the lawnmower section and I grabbed a U.S. polo shirt and I threw it in there. And then I was so sloppy. I didn't even walk outside. I walked back into the mall, which was stupid. And then they, they apprehended me. The guy's like, all right, need you. I need the merchandise. I need the merchandise, sir. And I was like, oh, shit. But I thought, well, this will be fine. I really wasn't that scared. I was just like, well, this was bound to happen eventually. And it probably would have been fine if I had my ID on me. But I forgot to bring my ID with me. So they had to take me to jail as opposed to just writing me a ticket and just telling me to pay a fine or whatever. So they brought me to jail because I didn't have my ID. I was there for two two days. Um it was Fort Lauderdale jail. And so, uh, and there were quite a few, uh, there were a few, quite a few African Americans in there. And I thought, this is my chance. I'm going to try to befriend these guys. I'm going to make them think I'm cool. And so I go up to them and I started asking them about their favorite rappers and all this other stuff. And they thought I was hilarious. And <laughs> they, you would have thought it was a comedy show the way I had them laughing. I had like three or four of them crowded around me. And I, these guys, these weren't just any black guys. We were in jail. These guys had gold teeth. They had dreads. They had face tats. They were like the real deal. I mean, we were literally in jail. Uh, so, and then, um, yeah, I was just making them, I was telling them about my favorite rapper, Plies, who is like a Florida rapper. And I was singing one of his songs and just, they thought my whole persona was just hilarious and uh, and when I got, finally got out, the bond was not, an, I had $20. My bond was $25 and I was $5 short. And so one guy that I was in, in the cell block with, he actually offered at the 11th hour, he comes up and he's like, Oh, is he $5 short? I'll give him $5. Aww. And they were like, it is not, they're like, it's not very often that this happens. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> These are your, this is your ideal audience right here. Do you get this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jail? Oh, my God, that's so awesome. What a crack up. You know, I was arrested for shoplifting as well and taken to jail. I was in junior high. Um, that is so funny. My experience is a little bit different than yours, but um, I can totally relate. That's a crack up. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, I still got away with the other clothes I had stole from the other stores. So in jail, they actually handed me back all the other clothes I had shoplifted from oh, the other stores. Oh, man. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> Ah, are you still shoplifting today? No, no, no. Got over that. <laughs> 
sooner or later we just kind of like raise the standard a little bit. It just feels better in life, doesn't it? To have a standard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you talk about maturity, are you talking about like moral maturity, physical maturity, um, like emotional maturity? What, what was it that was a little bit off for you? All of, all of it. It was oh, like okay. a 13 or 14-year-old in the body of a 19-year-old. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, so you talk about a lot of women, you know, the, the women issues. You grew up with sisters. So tell us a little bit about your relationship with your sisters. How many sisters? I have three younger sisters. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, You're the oldest brother. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a pretty normal relationship with them. Um, they are all very neurotypical, and they have very overachieving lives, which is, mm. can be tough, but I try not to resent them for it. Okay. Jealousy or? Um, um, well, I think there'd be something wrong with me if I wasn't a little jealous, but okay. I try not to let it, the, our relationship as siblings. Okay. I'm not that jealous because they're they're very smart, so it doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're smart? Yeah, I'm just bad at life. <laughs> I'm very smart, but <laughs> I. But it's kind of frustrating because that's actually not what gets you far in life. What gets you far in life is being good at life, life skills, and kind of much more superficial things. And being good at schoolwork also gets you far in life. And I just, these are all the things I just happen to be bad at, even though I have this incredible intellect and I'm a very deep thinker and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things I'm very good at, but they're all things that you usually need a college degree to do. So it's, it's very frustrating. It's like being given all this stuff and you can't utilize it. So it's like a, a blessing, but it's a curse at the same time, back and forth. Well, uh, I mean, as of right now, it's just, it's pretty much just been a curse. Hopefully someday it will turn into a blessing. Okay. I'm believing. I am believing for you. Um, So what's your favorite thing about traveling and about speaking from stage and what audiences do you connect with the most or do you enjoy speaking to the most? Talk to us about that. I did schools. I really, I did a middle school and a high school. Uh, that was really fun. Um, they all added me on Instagram and everything after. I didn't know how they liked it during it because they were like silent and just like mm-hmm. no expression on their faces. <laughs> and then afterwards, they all like went nuts and they like really loved it. I was like, oh, wow. And they all uh-huh. added me on social media. And uh, it's just too bad because schools often don't want to pay for you to they don't want to take time out of their day for someone to speak they uh, you know they are very unmotivated to make that happen okay okay so it's kind of a hard audience to get in front of or just not Mm, yeah 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 and what do you like the most you said that you know them acknowledging your work and following you on social media that's pretty much the the most favorable response for you yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. we live in a world where, you know, that's that's what it's all about. People make fun of the idea of caring about, like, followers and everything, but followers means people. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> people in you your know, life. Oh, you know, followers, social media, blah, blah, blah. But, like, it's just people. The Internet is real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I get it. I totally get it. You're here to help families as well. So how do you help families? Do you have a heart to help families? Is that kind of part of your motive as well? Well, I do social skills coaching. So if you go to my website, oh Bad my Choices God. Make Good Stories. Yeah, Bad Choices Make Good Stories dot com. Um, I, I do a free consultation, and it can be done during uh, using Skype, so it can be done remotely. Uh huh. And who is your target or your your ideal client? Uh, anybody struggling with so, especially, um, you know, most people on the autism spectrum um, have a lot of struggles with social. And I love being able to pass that my wisdom on. It's very yeah. Very, it's almost like a mess high, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why it's so important <laughs> it's, that we connect, you know, with our ideal clients. The people there are people that need you really, really bad. So tell us again where to connect with you for the coaching consultation. That's so valuable. Yes, bad choices make good stories dot com. You'll see a form right there. And uh and yeah, we do um I can help you with like now understanding a lot of it is understanding why people do things they do and that's half yeah. the battle and that's yeah. I have a lot of insight on that and um then a lot of it is of course your your tactics how you approach and I can definitely definitely help people in a way that most uh neurotypical people might not be able to because you know I've been through it and I know how right. autistic people think and I know how to explain yeah. things to them in ways that make sense yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. That is so awesome. Okay, you guys, I just, um, you have so much to share, Dylan. I just wish you the best. And I thank you so much for being on the show today. Is there any kind of last words of wisdom that you want to share with our audience while we have you? Um, no, just follow me on social media. I'm at Real Dylon everywhere, R-E-A-L-D-I-E. L-A-W-N, and uh, I appreciate all the love on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube. You take your pick. Yeah, amen, and go get the book. The book's amazing. I'm going to dig into it, I promise, Um, but what I have read is just so awesome, and it's for everybody. You know, this kind of a book just really um, tugs on our heart and helps all of us to rethink the the ways that we do life and, and the beliefs that we have, so I love what you're doing out there. Follow Dylon, D-I-E-L-A-W-N on social media and reach out to badchoicesmakegoodstories.com and schedule a coaching consultation. Um, just That's just an awesome opportunity to work with you. Um, and for those of you who are ready to get your story out into the world and amplify your voice and publish your message, um, contact me, Stacy um, C at StacyC.com. It's with an E-Y, S-T-A-C-E-Y-C at StacyC.com. And don't forget to be the change you're looking to see in the world. We'll see you next time. <laughs>